Do you suffer from tilt? Has the relentless grind of getting rivered by the terrible plays of donkeys beaten you down? Do you suffer from SS, also known as short stack syndrome? Despite what they say, size does matter, and you know it. That's why you need to ask your doctor about TBS-TB, a new weekly dose of poker inoculation. TBS-TB, or The Blind Stealing the Blinds, is a weekly podcast to help you bridge the gap between poker theory and application and apply some lessons on the felt to your life off the felt. Common side effects include increased confidence, better range construction, higher win rates, and in general, being a better human being. For a free consultation, head over to tbstv.com. Your poker life depends on it. listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, the one thing. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going great. Things are going well. I've got to play a couple of sessions. I won both of them. Starting to get more active in my poker community again after working so many hours at being able to cut it down. Yeah, I'm just excited about all the things that are coming up for us here on our website. It's going really great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I finally put the golf clubs away and played a couple sessions this week. My results were poor, but my process was pretty good. I played well. I just got smacked when I went all in several times with the best of it, lost every single one of them, but you can't control the results. I made the best decisions. They called, which I wanted. They hit, which I didn't want, but you know, that's how it goes. The other big thing going for me is that my son, he's 12. He wants to work out and build muscle. So he's going to start working out with me. I spent a couple hours cleaning out my utility room to make enough space for him and I to both work out together. So I haven't lifted with a spotter in like 15 years. So it's going to be interesting to have my son as a spotter. He and I can get swole together. You know, it's a bonding experience. I love it. So that's me. We are joined this week once again with Jordan Sweet. Jordan, how's it going? It is good. It uh, snowed for the first time today, so I officially have my... Christmas tree up. And uh, I took my daughter to the toy store the other day and bought two toys so I can wrap them and put them under my little five foot Christmas tree. It's actually four foot with like a one foot base. So it's deceiving, but I put it on a table. So it's seven feet. Wait, you brought your daughter to a toy store and then bought her toys with her present? Okay. She doesn't remember because she's only like 15 months old. So okay. it'll be new by the time she gets That's it. fair. I was looking at these marble toys where you build this tower and then like the marbles drop and roll around and whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is probably really cool for her to... And then I'm reading the thing and it says like, do not give to any children under three because the marble's a choking hazard. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> terrible. But I didn't realize that immediately. If you use gumballs, are they still choking hazards? Because then they'll like digest. That's a good point. We'll, we'll drop like uh, M&Ms or something down it instead. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> so our topic this week is a topic that a lot of poker players fall into, Dell yes. and me included. <laughs> and that's thinking about the one thing. The one thing in poker, as the one thing in life, is the magic bullet. 
that we're all trying to achieve. If I only understood this principle, if I only knew how to do this part of my job, if I only was able to grow facial hair. When we record Uh, this episode, it's No Shave November. I'm almost 44. I'll be 44 next week. I have a gross inability to grow facial hair. I have, no joke, taken a six-month supply of Harry's razors and made a last five years. (laughs) I have a petite goatee. I have what looks like a mustache and what kind of looks like a soul patch and a little goatee. And it's kind of ridiculous. I did ask my wife about it. And here's how you can relate life to poker. And my wife said, it's either neutral or better. So that tells me I should not shave it. Because if I shave it, at best, I'm neutral. And at worst, I'm worse off. The expected value of my facial hair is positive. Got to maximize that EV. Exactly. I know I know for myself, I wish I could grow. You can grow a beard in like five days. And it's full. And it's like Santa Claus. It's ridiculous. But anyway, the one thing in poker is not a facial hair, but the one thing is that thing that you think you need to master. And and Dell, you have experience in this as well, right? Yeah, I think that the thing with me is that my poker growth has been stunted by this a lot. It didn't matter what level of my poker growth I was at. In the beginning, I thought if I just knew pre-flop, I'd be able to beat everybody. And And then I thought, well, if I just understood the next theory, I'd be able to beat everybody. Or if I could just learn to manage my bankroll, I'd finally be successful. Or if I could just learn GTO, and I would get stuck in these things, right? So, and what brought this up was a Slack conversation between Jordan, another School of Cards student, and you. And the thing is that the student asked a question. And what happened was, when we started answering the question, you start to understand the connection in poker that literally there isn't one part of the poker process that isn't connected to the other parts of the poker process. Every decision is connected to another decision or another possibility or another line or some effect on the overall EV. So there isn't one thing. I would get so desperate to find out what that one thing I needed to know in poker was so that I could win. I got news for you. I still have those moments where I get so desperate to know what that one thing is. But there isn't a one thing. You have to go about it in a holistic process. You have to understand what happens. You will get to grow focusing on one thing at a time. You really will. In fact, in some ways, that's how we need to go about poker. We need to pick off those low-hanging fruit first. So we focus on that one thing. The thing is, is when we marry that to the thought of, once I know this one thing, I'll have it all. What happens, you'll get that one thing and you're going to be extremely disappointed because guess what? There's another thing to learn. And it's very much like life. You're going through life thinking, if I just have that one thing and then I'll be happy. Well, life is the same way. There's a lot of process in life where we every decision is connected to the next decision, the next possible outcome. And here's the thing, like with this notion of the one thing. You can get all the one things. You can eventually get to the point where you have done all the learning you need to learn to be successful at poker, and you still have to deal with negative variants. And you can make all the right decisions in life, and you still got to deal with negative variants. So some way, some way we have to take and divorce ourselves from the notion that that one thing will make us happy. We need to find happiness as we are now while still progressing in life and still progressing in our growth as poker players and human beings. 
The big challenge for me is that the scope of poker topics is so broad and all-encompassing. We're not just talking poker concepts in terms of having a well-constructed range or post-flop play or value versus bluffing hands. It's also mental and financial and emotional. It's not just poker theory. It's all the stuff that surrounds poker theory, which makes it mimic life all the more. And once you realize there is no one thing, it's very much like the matrix. There is no spoon. Let me kick it off to Jordan with a paraphrase of Morpheus. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You deal from the blue deck, the story ends. You wake up in your local home game and believe whatever you want to. You deal from the red deck, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the gap between theory and application is. <laughs> Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I think you mentioned a good point that it's all aspects of poker, but not only the fundamental and advanced. I've used the analogy of building a house in the in one of the previous episodes where we've had a we had a conversation about building upon a, a strong foundation. There are some fundamental concepts in poker that you just you need to know. But if you're thinking of your first and second level of your house, the fundamental aspects all fit on the same level. There's not one more important than the other. And as you build the house up, if you if you want to live in a nice house, you need to have all of the things working. If you have lights in your house, that's great, but no plumbing, like you don't really want to live there. You have you've installed plumbing, but you have no electricity. Like you're gonna be you're gonna be super cold in the winter, right? You're not gonna be able to see anything. You have no lights on, so they're all equally important. There's no one thing more important than the rest. Uh, my favorite poker analogies is the is that you're building a puzzle, you're solving a puzzle, and and I like to think in the extremes because poker is on a spectrum. So to make it easier for me to think, like I will think in the extremes and then try and dial in where exactly I am on the spectrum, and I'm trying to figure out. Like, what, how does the puzzle piece fit in this hand? Like, if I'm trying to, to dissect a hand, as far as the whole totality of poker itself, you're kind of like decorating the inside of your house. Even though you might argue that the plumbing is more important than like the picture frame with your kids in it, it wouldn't be a home without that picture. Uh, you'd just be living in this empty building. So you, you've got these aspects of like mental game that are just as important when you're trying to play the game seriously, even though they're not something that you can analyze in a specific hand. You're not going to, you're not going to dissect the hand history with a friend of yours and start out by saying like, well, I, I got in a car accident three days prior and the insurance payment is weighing on. You. No one really thinks about that, but it affects you while you're at the table. You had mentioned you like to think about poker in the extremes. And I'd like to talk about two of those extremes to try to figure out how we could better align our study practices to achieving this goal of incorporating more than just the one thing. On one extreme, you focus on one thing serially. You focus on one thing, well-constructed ranges, to the exclusion of everything else. That's the only thing you do, and you'll probably lose at poker because all you can do is play pre-flop. On the converse side, and this is something I have done, I will take five, six, seven concepts and try to munch them together all at once. I got well-constructed ranges. Great. I know flop textures. Awesome. I can pick up behaviors. Great. I can see betting sizes. Wonderful. I can do value and bluffing percentages and try to balance my ranges that way. I lost so much money trying to tackle too many things at once 
because I didn't master any of them. And so I would make decisions that were probably faulty and that I might make really good decisions after that point, but because they're all built on a, to your house analogy, a poor foundation of a bad initial decision, I can't save myself. Does that make sense? So where is that balance? Yeah, the foundational mistakes are ones that are that are easy to identify because you deep dive and you can get to the point where where you can point to something and say, this is correct or this is wrong. Okay. If you identify a range, you're playing a hand and you, and you think you should have a specific range and it's, and it's like way too wide, you can read all the books that say you shouldn't be playing seven deuces under the gun. You shouldn't be opening with this terrible hand like in the position that you're at, right? It gets harder when you're on the turn in maybe a tough spot and you want to identify like, where did I go wrong? Or not even in a hand history, you're trying to flesh out a strategy and you don't know what you should do how, or how to incorporate a specific concept into your game. So you get to the point where you're, you're trying to just add in these things at random and uh, you might spend a month studying one specific thing and become very well versed at it, become really good at it. But if your game centers around that one thing, you start to lose touch with all of the other fundamental aspects and then you, your game starts to fall apart again. We mentioned at a school of cards that you're constantly like breaking and rebuilding your game. Once you get the foundation, you can basically rely on the solid foundation of what we would call ABC poker, right? And if you're playing ABC poker fairly well, you're going to do all right. I don't think you're going to lose your role. If you're, if you've got bankroll management, which is a fundamental piece and you've got some good ABC strategy in every session. Once you start adding in the new stuff, you study for whether it be a week, a month, or whatever set amount of time you have to pick up this new concept. At the end of it, you have to go back and revisit your whole strategy and make sure that it fits. You can't master the topic and then just shove it into your, into your strategy, just assuming that it's going to work. You have to go very almost tediously through all of the other aspects of your game and make sure that it aligns with the new thing that you study. I was talking to a friend of mine from New York. He was asking, you know, how do you pull off these crazy bluffs? How do you do this? How do you do that? And one of the funny parts about the conversation was trying to explain to him that you, you know, you can't balance a check raising range if you're not opening these suited connectors preflop. Because his whole thing was like, I don't like to play those tricky suited connector hands, right? Because they just get me in trouble. And then we're talking about like, I think it was a WSOP hand with a check raise from like a combo draw. And uh, the, I almost saw the light bulb go off because it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't ever check raise if I'm never opening suited connectors under the gun. All the books of ABC Poker tell you not to open suited connectors under the gun, right? That's kind of an advanced thing. So you, you start to study this advanced like range construction. I want suited connectors now in my under the gun range so that I'm able to like check raise with them. And now you're opening like way too many hands at the game that you're playing, or you're opening for too large of a size with those hands. Do you need to adjust your preflop sizing now to account for your increased frequency opening under the gun? It's you start to go down the rabbit hole, like Dell was saying, you start to get lost with how these things balance out. And the only way to make sure that it balances is to go back and, and revisit every single part again. And then, uh, you know, you just you revamp everything. So to put it another way, it, is that what we're talking about is, is looking at poker holistically. And we're progressing through exactly just what Jordan said. We, we need to be progressing through poker, through all the aspects of poker. We move this aspect ahead. We move the next aspect connected to that ahead. The next one connected to that. And growing through the whole process as opposed to 
picking one little thing out and being so obsessed about it that all the rest are neglected, wither and die. We always go back to connecting it to life. And, and to this, this is one of those things. Like, if you're better at that in poker, if you can stick to a holistic process in poker, you'll find you'll be able to stick to it in life better. And if you can do it in life, you'll find you'll be able to do it in poker. And if you can't, then you need to find a way to break that one thing cycle. You need to find some solution to it. Whether it's a coach that thinks holistically or a training site that thinks holistically or get some therapy, it, it, it's not a bad thing, <laughs> you know? I ran into the one thing just recently. Last week, we did an episode on GTO. And I had mentioned I just started reading a book on GTO. And all of these light bulbs are going off. How exploitative play is an extension of GTO. It's not either or, it's both and. Go back and listen to last week's episode. And I'm tweaking the way that I'm seeing my ability to exploit my opponents. And I posted in Slack an idea I had concerning minimum defense frequencies and how I should use MDF in basing my bet sizes. It turns out that's really good on the river when there's no more implied odds. There's no fold equity beyond that street because the river's the last street. But I was talking about it in terms of flop and turn because I hadn't gotten that point yet in the book where they talked about, hey, MDF is a bad idea if you're not on the river. I mentioned that in Slack because I'm trying to fit that GTO piece into my puzzle and I don't know enough about it yet to actually know what that piece looks like. So I don't know where it fits because I don't have the box that tells me what the poker puzzle looks like. That's the thing. We're trying to put the poker puzzle together and we don't have the box. Whenever I used to put jigsaw puzzles together, I had a box. It was great. I knew what part was the sky, what part was the water. They're both blue, but I could figure it out. I can't figure that out with poker. And so I'm running into that problem of the one thing. Yeah. Learning poker shouldn't look like a one straight line up. It should look like a well-blossomed, well-leaved tree. A decision tree. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, that was lame. Yes, it was. That was, that was bad. That why, was bad. Why edit it out? It is who you are. Go with your strengths. <laughs> I either have dad jokes or I have 80s references. What do you want from me? 80s dad jokes. That's uh, like. Both. Okay. Both. Okay. I, brother, I love you the way you are. I really do. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. <laughs> so the thing about this topic is... It was difficult for me to think of any tools. My, my you know, I, I put down some tools in the notes that I thought about, guys. Like I thought about you want a coach or a site that's going to present this and go about this in a holistic manner. That's going to have you grow like a, like a tree as opposed to just a stock up into the clouds. Do you guys have any tools for this? Any tools for coming up with solutions to getting broken out of that one thing cycle? I think the great example you came up with at the beginning of this episode where one of the School of Cards students initiated this conversation about one specific aspect of the game and that discussion branched out into multiple different aspects that turns out they're all related. I think one of the great tools we have at our disposal is a community where you can bounce these ideas off of. I posted something recently in Slack about a hand history where I was approaching it from one specific standpoint, one perspective. Did I come up with a well-constructed bluff in this spot? Let's talk about that. We talked about it, and it turns out we talked about a lot of other things as well, because they're all related. The ability to talk about these spots, and in doing so, opening yourself up to exploring 
all these related concepts helps reinforce for me and for others, maybe the ones who are reading them, ones who are commenting, that this is all related. It might trigger me to think, hey, next I'm in the spot and I'm thinking, is this a well-constructed bluff? Well, let me think about that. What was my range construction going into a pre-flop? What kind of decisions did I make? How did I profile this player? What was the action that led up to the spot? There's so many other things. So I'm going to say, I think one of the great tools we have is a vibrant community, even if it's just a bunch of your friends, who hopefully you have friends who know what they're talking about. If you bounce these ideas off friends who don't know anything about poker, you're just going to be screaming into the void. It's not going to be very helpful. There's a bit of a misconception with some students is that these topics work linearly and they build linearly on each other. Ironically, a lot of poker players learn the game backwards. If you think in terms of what you need to know in order to build a good strategy, we have a very dense topic. When it comes to GTO, a lot of the principles are difficult to learn and it's, it is advanced. It's difficult to go through. And by nature, it just seems like it should be like the end topic linearly. You learn all these easy things first, and then you get to like work your way up to the harder concepts, like when you're, you're earning your PhD or something. But GTO is the foundation that everything else then starts to build on in order to like adapt to whatever game you're in. I think people, they look at how difficult it is to learn and they think that's not for me. That must be for the advanced players. And they learn the game through the lens of exploiting live players in their local casino. They go to whatever home game they're at and they learn that poker is a limp fest that they're going to gain isolation with. Or they learn that poker is a super aggressive game that you only need to call with the nuts. And then they get to the, the point where they're trying to jump into a 2-5 or a 5-10 and, and take a shot. And they're losing. And they say, well, all I need to do is just work my way around this game and figure out what the secrets are to this game. And then they go, okay, it's not working now because I've broken my whole strategy. I need to learn something more advanced. And they get into those advanced topics and it's like the switch gets flipped and they realize they've been doing it backwards the whole time. And you need to approach the game from a, a solid place that allows you to branch out. That's when you start to get the holistic strategy because what, what they've been doing the whole time is just creating specific games to target like specific pools and specific casinos and specific home games. I love the idea you mentioned of keeping a history, keeping a document of your hand histories. If you want to know whether you've gotten better or more confident in your ability to apply a concept, just look at a hand history that you recorded a year ago. I revisited a hand history and I was appalled at how immature my thought process was in writing that hand history. At the time I wrote it, I thought I knew what I was doing. Reading it now, my knowledge of the game and my understanding has changed so much that looking back on it is like night and day. So I love the idea of keeping a document of your hand histories, review them, and you will see how much you've grown. Yeah, the, the language is really important when you do that. If, if you look back at your old hand histories and your language hasn't changed, there's one of two things going on. Either you are already the complete human being and the complete poker player that you need to be, not likely, or you're stagnant. And we've seen it. We've seen people post over and over again a lot of hand histories and the language never changes. You know, the needle never moves forward. 
and then they won't post for a while, and then they'll post again, and the language is the same. So you can look at that. I didn't think of that as a tool, but that really is a good way to see if you're stuck on that one thing concept or if you're stuck in poker just in general. That language is going to tell you if you're moving that needle. One of the difficult things with self-improvement when it comes to poker is the, the lack of easy metrics. When you want to improve by maybe 1% or 2%, I think you guys did a podcast on like directed study. It's hard to improve by 1% if you don't have a metric for what 1% is. So if you want to start three betting more often or you're studying check raises or, or you're studying this advanced topic and you, you just want to start applying it at the table, by what metric do you know that you're applying it well? Do you have to record every single hand that you play? and then record every hand that you play where you leaned on this new strategy or, or concept that you have? And then what, how many hands do you apply the concept? Every hand should apply all concepts at different ratios, right? But you should be applying all the concepts every hand that you're playing. So how do you know that you're getting better? It's kind of just like the confidence gauge. You know that you can move on to the next plateau when you feel relatively confident about the decisions you're making at the current level. It's such a vague like metric to use that it's easy to just get lost because you say, I don't know when I'm good enough. You can at least gauge your own awareness of a concept while you're at the table in real time. I think one of the, the greatest tools is always just the tried and true hand history, but with the note-taking, maybe add in uh, a document where you can save these um, notes that you take your uh, on your hand history. So you, you might be able to mention that you, you applied this concept well or not. You know, so now you just add an extra aspect into your hand history. You evolve your review from how could I have won the hand to did I make the correct decisions to did I apply this concept that I've been studying? So you, you're confident that, that you know that you can't always win every hand. So you're beyond that level. You're confident in the decisions that you're making in the hand. You know that like the majority of the decisions that you're making are good or you review the hand and you, and you decide whether it was a good decision or not. But then you add in a level of review whether or not you applied a new concept or if you just like autopiloted through. Maybe the pot was too large. Maybe you were like at the end of your session. You can always cover like mental game that way, bankroll management that way. Did you fold the spot because you were worried about losing? You know, that touches on like even just uh, those more abstract concepts like the bankroll management and, uh, and mental game. The thing that I thought about when Jordan was talking about this before we started, we, we asked him his opinion on this. One of the things that occurred to me is that it even goes with the metrics. In poker, you could take and learn the concept and apply it properly and then play a thousand hands and not have good results because it's not a big enough sample size. So one of the things we need is we need a sounding board that we know understands poker and the concepts that we're trying to learn that we can talk to. And it goes back to that community, but it's it, the community is not enough because if you're part of a community and everybody in the community is at, at one level, then you're going to be at that one level. So you need coaches. And, and that's what I think about. I, I think about the importance of interacting with coaches all the time, over and over, every day, have some sort of interaction with coaches. Now, if you're part of a training site and the coaches are active, that's easy. And, and we're very blessed in that manner. So, I mean, that would be the thing I would say is a good training site. I would also say that when you're stuck on stuff like that one thing, it's important to understand that this is a mental issue. This is not a cognitive issue. It's a mental issue. It, it, there's a reason why 
you're tying your happiness to that one thing. And you probably need some outside help, whether it be therapy, maybe a self-help book, maybe you can read the mental game of poker a few hundred times. But the point is, is there's something that is a mental block that's preventing you from progressing in the healthiest, least painful manner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Doing the one thing at a time, it's painful. Tying your happiness to the thought of this one thing, it's very painful. And that, to me, is the biggest tool we can have, is to separate our notion of happiness from that one thing, to find happiness with who we are as human beings, who we are as poker players, understand our shortcomings, and work to grow. Ironically, my hand histories have gotten much, much shorter. I did the same thing going through some documents on my computer, just like cleaning stuff up. I found a, a poker folder. It had a bunch of stuff. It had just reviews, own personal uh, notes on a couple of different casinos. And like, cause I thought that like this casino was better to go play at than that one because all these different factors, whatever. But I found a, a hand history, literally a separate word document file about a page and a half, maybe four or five paragraphs of just straight garbage. I could find maybe pre-flop action that had some legitimate thought process to like why I would do something. And then a bunch of rambling about justifications for this and that and the other thing. And my hand histories now are just like action preflop, maybe some background on the table, maybe some like profile for a, a player that I think might be important or like relative to the hand. And then the three streets and that's it. And I can reconstruct or deconstruct and reconstruct whatever, what I think I should be doing in that hand. And I don't include a lot of that thought process and justification because it, it tends to just distract me later on. So I'll just record the action of the hand and then I'll revisit it. And by revisiting it, I can think, wow, that was, a, that was a weird action. I don't agree with that at all. As opposed to writing down the action and then reading my justification and then being like, yeah, yeah I could see why I did that. That makes sense. Like all it does is I just stroke my own ego. All right. So you kind of remove all the ego out of it by just putting the action in there. And then you get to later on go back and say, read it as if you're reading one of your friend's histories. And you get to say, that was dumb, man. Like that, that makes no sense in this spot. You should have been thinking about this, this, and this. And that's when you get to identify where your gaps are. So you you go through your old hand and you say, why, why weren't you thinking about SPR going to the turn? And now you've just realized that your gap is in uh, like setting up bet sizes for SPRs on like future streets. So in terms of other documents, we talked about having a hand history document that you can revisit and kind of learn from your past self that can inform your future self. What about some kind of strategy document or study plans? Because I would think you had mentioned before, we need metrics, but it's hard to get those metrics. And how do we know if we're studying the right thing? We did a podcast before about how to create a study plan that works for you. We had Blake Eastman on the show, so you could listen to that podcast. But in terms of writing that down, the actual mechanics of creating your own strategy document or study plan to support your growth away from the one thing, what would you two recommend? There's the one thing that's like, what's going to be the final puzzle piece to make my strategy complete versus the approach of like, what's the one thing that's going to make me feel good about it? You just need to have confidence that the, the work you put in is, is valid because you, you put the work in and you need to be able to accept the fact that there's going to be flaws. So not every strategy is going to be perfect and not every game is going to be perfect because we're not, we're not robots, we're not computers, we're going to make mistakes. And there's, there's no one complete strategy considering even, even the best in the world are still writing new editions of their books, right? So 
you can't you can't approach it assuming that like someone has all of the answers to give to you or it would be out there there's still uh, there's still conversations on the topic and even the best of the best are still like advancing through it so you can either accept that it's a growth process for everyone and then you can accept that you have some flaws that will go along with your own execution right and then as long as you forgive yourself i think that's what dell was touching on is like the ability to forgive yourself and then and then grow from it i think a tool we could have as a mindset shift is having a growth mindset. And I think we've talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, maybe about ego and poker. If I say, I don't understand this yet, that's a different mindset. I'm not locking myself away from the potential that I will understand it. I will get there. I just need to struggle with it and struggling with it's okay. The fact that I don't get it right away, that's fine. But there are a lot of people who will say, I just, I can't do math. Math is too hard. I can't do math. But if people can sit with a problem and struggle with it and just understand, I can't do the math yet, but I'll get there, that growth mindset is going to propel that person much further in their poker career than the person who just gives up and says, I can't do the math. I, I don't have any more on this topic, guys. Do you? I think we covered it pretty well. Hold on. Dell's got something. Before we go, I do want to talk about a couple of serious things. First of all, our podcast comes out on Thursday, and uh, we had a little bit of a brain cramp last week because our podcast came out on, on Veterans Day, and we never mentioned anything about it. And we do happen to have a veteran on our show today. Jordan is a veteran. And I think that it's important to thank veterans for their service, but I think it goes more than that. I've had a couple things on my mind here lately. I, I've had friends who are veterans who have committed suicide lately. And this is, I don't want to get too deep into this other than to say that 22 veterans a day commit suicide in this country. And if you're out there and, and you are one of them veterans that are is down and you need help, please reach out. And if you see a veteran that needs help, please reach out. And this is on the front of my head right now because a dear friend of my family who is not a veteran did commit suicide, but it does connect for me in the suicide. If you're depressed or anything, my wife is a therapist and I'm not recommending you reach out to her, but I deal with this a lot. My wife talks to me a lot about this and how much it's going on in our country. And it's, it's really a big thing right now. Please, if you're listening to this and you're depressed, please reach out. Don't sit by yourself. And I want to thank BJ and Jordan for giving me a minute to do that because it's not really part of our podcast, but I feel the need to say it this week. No problem. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. We can still do the game if you want. Yes, let's do the game. So. Now that we've now that we've talked the whole podcast about how there is no one thing, we're gonna give you the actual one thing. So BJ, you started off and we each have to contribute one word and you have to state what is the one thing that you need in order to be good at poker. When you wish I didn't We're not doing what you wish upon word, a star. Go. Come on, when no, you we're wish. not doing that. Okay. Okay. When you Want to grow as a poker player, then you need to take a, a holistic direction. That works. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I got. So, so I got, I got stuck with the hard word. I got stuck right, with holistic approach. and uh, uh, okay. Well, there, there's the one thing. All right. So thanks Jordan for joining us. Appreciate having you on. Always a good time.
Thank you, Dell. It's always a good time. Yeah, I, this has been awesome. And this is my first uh, podcast with Jordan, so it's kind of neat. Thanks, Jordan. All right. And until next week, try not to search for the one thing. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Get yours.